Well, good morning. How are we doing? How are we doing? Good, amen. The Spirit of God is in this place. Uh, for those of you that are new, my name is Joey. I'm the lead pastor here at Vertical Life Church. And before we get into the message, which will be the, the final installment of this series, When Life Falls Apart, I just want to say we believe here at Vertical Life Church that God is alive and well, that Jesus is here, that he saves souls, that, that there's not enough uh, bad things you could do in your life that can overcome his power to forgive, restore, redeem. And uh, if you've never given your life to Jesus, I'm just going to challenge you today. That is the most important and amazing decision you will ever make in your entire life, to make him your Lord and Savior. You'll finally come alive and find that, that thing that your soul has been crying out for since the moment you were born. And, uh, and part of living a life as a believer in Christ is not just to be religious. It, that, that's not what it's about at all. It's about the life that he died to give you. He died. He gave his life on the cross, came back from the dead so that he could then send his Holy Spirit to live in you to bring you what the Bible calls to be born again, a new life where you live as a son or daughter of the Most High God. You live in this reality of His presence in you, and, and you have access to the benefits and privileges of your Heavenly Father. Peace, unconditional love, uh, uh, just, just an identity that so concretes you in security that nothing can shake you when life falls apart. It's such an amazing uh, thing to be a child of God. And, and when you make that decision and the Spirit comes to live inside of you, you join in what's called the church, the church of Jesus Christ. And we together as a spiritual family are learning to walk and grow together as people of God, not to become better than everyone else, but to walk in his love by loving him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and allowing that love to overflow into our lives, into the lives of other people. And part of the way that God's love is shown to other people is through the Holy Spirit, through the gifts of the Spirit. The gifts of the Spirit are God's love language. This is how he demonstrates him. God's not afraid of evidence. He's not afraid of showing up in a room and touching somebody's life. He likes to do that. He's a good father who loves to touch people's lives. And so we at Vertical Life Church, we believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And as I was praying for this Sunday, for this week, I believe that God spoke to my heart and said, today is going to be a day of healing. I believe there's people here who need to be healed, that there's things that you're wrestling with, maybe issues in your life. And specifically, I heard that maybe somebody's here struggling with their hearing. Maybe you're developing hearing loss or you've had hearing issues. Uh, but God said that somebody today who's had hearing issues is going to be healed today. And, and so if that is you... Uh, at the end of our service, when we have our response time, I'm going to invite you to come forward. We're going to lay hands on you and let God do his thing because God's the one that does the miracle. We just obey in faith. Um, but secondly, uh, there are other gifts of the Spirit, not just healing. There's gifts of prophecy. And Paul, in 1 Corinthians 12 and 14, he encourages the church to pursue the spiritual gifts diligently. Give your all to them. Pursue them. Why? Because the more you encounter, the more of God's love fills your life, the more of his love you can pour out into other people. And so one of the gifts of the Spirit that I've been chasing after are in the areas of, of prophecy, words of knowledge, and, 
and uh, the prophetic gifts as a way to allow God to speak through me into someone's life to encourage them, to console them, to build and strengthen them up. And this is what he wants to do. He wants to encourage all of us. And so part of walking in the gifts of the Spirit is taking risk. You, you, you can't stay comfortable and see a miracle. You've got to do something, right? Peter had to get out of the boat in the midst of a torrential storm amongst the wind and the waves in order to walk on the water. This is how walking in the gifts of the Spirit works. You're not going to uh, see God heal someone through you if you don't take that step to lay hands on them and pray for the healing. It requires uh, an act of obedience because God wants to partner with His people to do the miraculous, to encourage and to equip. So part of my journey is I'm taking risks. I, I'm trying to hear from the Lord, and then I'm testing that by taking a risk and to see if it pans out. Sometimes it doesn't, but sometimes it does. And when it does, it's really cool. I'm just going to say that. Uh, it's amazing. It, it's a high like you've never experienced. And so as I was praying, I just believe that God has given me um, just a, a word. Again, it's along the lines of healing, but it's for someone specific. And he gave me uh, this, this name. I don't know if it's uh, a, an email name, maybe it's a nickname, or uh, maybe you can make sense of it if it applies to you. If it applies to you, I'm just going to say, I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to make you stand up and do the hokey pokey. I just want you to slip your name up so I know who I'm talking to. If it's nobody in here, um, then I'll just release the word and we'll just pray that God will uh, give it to who it was intended for. But is there someone in here who maybe has had the nickname or something along the lines of Rhinestone Warrior or anything uh, that pertains to rhinestones or warrior? Or does that make sense to anybody? No one? Does anybody here uh, know a David or David Welsh? Maybe it's a family member or the last name, maybe an ethnicity, maybe Welsh descent, David at all? No one? Well, I just believe that uh, as I was praying that this is what came to my mind and that there uh, was a scare for cancer, maybe a, an issue with cancer, and God said that um, there was going to be a healing. So um, if that's you and you're not speaking up or you know someone, maybe later you'll know that David and you find out they're from Welsh descent and somehow Rhinestone Warrior works out, just say, hey, God spoke today. It was for you. So you can release that on our behalf, and we'll just continue to walk in that. But uh, I just want to encourage you to continue to pursue after God because this is what we live for. Jesus didn't give his life for us to sit in church pews and feel good on a Sunday. He sent us out on a journey to fill the earth with his glory and to help the whole world know that Jesus Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords. Amen? Amen. So let's pray and we'll get into our message today. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you, Lord, that you are a God who speaks you're a God who moves mountains. You're a God of miracles. You're a God of promises and faithfulness. And Lord, I just thank you for everyone that's here today. God, you brought them for a specific reason. And so Holy Spirit, I just ask, Lord, that you would fill me, that you would guide everything that is spoken today, that it would be directly from you. Remove from this message any part of me. They don't need to hear from me. They need to hear from you. As we wrestle with just the, the idea that evil is in the world. There are bad things that happen. There are different reason, reasons that they go on, but, but you are a God who is faithful. You're a God who never changes. You're a God who never abandons his people. 
And there are promises and truths that we can wrestle with, but even things we need to examine in our own lives to maybe see why we're in an issue or a situation of struggle. God, I pray today that you would comfort our hearts, that you would console us, but God, that you would touch us in those deep places. You'd break through hardness of heart. You'd break through deaf ears, God, that you would, that you would mark us with, with your word today in a way that makes us just incapable of remaining the same. God, you have such a purpose and plan for every life here. You have uh, something specific that you created us to do. There's not a person who's too old or too young, too healthy or too sick. God, there is something for us to do that you have done to reveal your glory and your power and your goodness in the world. And I just pray, God, that this leans us even closer, just like that song we just sang, leans us closer to your heart so that we can discover what that is. We just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, welcome again to uh, week four of our series, When Life Falls Apart. I hope that through this series, if you've been on this journey with us the last four weeks, that you've been challenged and encouraged not to let your focus, when times get tough, when life seems to fall apart, not to let your focus be consumed with what is wrong or what is going wrong in your life. Because that's what's easy. That, that's what is our natural thing. That is just like life starts to fall apart and all we can think about, all we can feel is the negativity and it consumes us. So through this series, we've been looking at uh, ways to refocus our minds and our hearts. Not to let us stay consumed with what's wrong, but to let the Holy Spirit make a shift in your soul. Because that's what he wants to do. He wants to bring a shift into your soul, into your heart, from what is not going right into your life, but what God is doing in your life through that difficult season. Because God is not silent. He's not absent. He is with you through everything you go through. He is intimately aware of you. Uh, if you were to do a study just on the Word of God of what God says about His children, what God thinks about His children, about you and about me, it would blow your mind. It would change your life. How intimately aware of you God is. Did you know that God has every hair on your head numbered? How much do you have to pay attention to someone to know that information? I mean, the Bible says that every star, there are more stars in the galaxy than we can count. There are more stars in the universe that, that exist than there are words in every language known to man. And God has every star named. And you think, man, that's a lot to be concerned with. But even more so, he has the hairs on your head numbered. When you cry, the psalm says he catches your tears in his jar because he cares He's so intimately aware. He's not going to abandon you when struggles come. If you're a child of God, you've accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You've turned to him for the forgiveness of your sins. God has not abandoned you in your suffering, but he's all intimately involved in the process. Though we may not see his hands in everything, we can trust that he is working everything out for our good. It's a promise, Romans 8, 28. God will work everything out for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. 
there's some truths that we can hold on to to keep us heading in the right direction, to give us hope and strength and uh, to our faith when life falls apart. The first that we looked at week one, it was that God is leading me. Somebody say, God is leading me. When life is falling apart, God's not abandoning you, but he's leading you. The second week, we discovered that God is refining me. Someone say, God is refining me. God doesn't waste the struggles in your life, but uses them to create you into the person that he purposed for you to be. There, there are, are like a master sculptor. We were talking about this with our kids and family devotions as we were reading about God being the potter and we are the clay. A potter sets a chunk of clay on the wheel, begins to spin it, and then uses his hands to form it. And it continues to form. But even after he's got the perfect form, it's not the end. He has to put it into the fire to refine it, to burn it, to create it into the, the perfect, uh, you know, ashtray that, or whatever you want to make, you know, that we'd make it and shop it as kids in home ec class or whatever. You know, you, you take it into, you make a bowl, you make you know, different pottery. But the perfect piece of pottery, God has to still, after forming you, put you through the fire to try you, to test you, so that on the other side, you're the exact image in perfection of what he wants you to be. And then finally, after God is refining you, we looked at how God is faithful. Somebody say, God is faithful. God is faithful. Often when we go through struggles and trials, when life begins to fall apart, the first thing we say is, God, why'd you let me go through this? God, why, where are your promises? God, we start asking God the question, why, 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 why? But more importantly than the why is the who, and that is God, and he is faithful. And what he has spoken, he will always make come to pass. God knows what's in the future, yes, because he's all-knowing, but not just because he knows everything. God knows what's going to happen in the future because if he said it in the past, he will make sure it happens in the future because he's faithful. He never fails. So what God speaks, we can hold on to. And today, the last truth that we're going to look at when life falls apart, God is worth it. Somebody say, God is worth it. God is worth it. And this is a truth that we're going to look at today. Do you believe that today? Somebody say amen. You believe that. Isn't it easy when things are going well to say amen to that statement? God is worth it. Because when life is falling apart, when problems are happening, when you have that sickness that you're just not able to kick, when your relationships are in, on the brink and nothing seems to be showing any signs of turning around, sometimes, and even if we're trying to do everything right, we start to pray more, we start to be more faithful to church, we start to do all the things that we know are good things to do that God makes God happy that we do these things, but yet things aren't turning around. And so we start to question, is this even worth it? Is it worth it to kill myself, to do all these things, to please a God who seems to have forgotten me? But the truth is, is that no matter what we endure, what we go through, God is worth it. He is the greatest treasure, the greatest prize, and pursuing his heart is the greatest endeavor any one of us can undertake. God in his sovereign will, he is sovereign over all things. The Bible says that not even a feather can touch the ground or an arrow can touch the ground without God say so. That he is supreme over all things. But even in that supremacy, in that supremacy, 
God may allow some things to come into our life. God doesn't cause our pain. He's not responsible for our pain as we may blame against him when we're struggling. But sometimes he does allow the enemy to sift us, to bring circumstances into our lives for a specific purpose. If you think of Job in the Old Testament, the Bible says he was an upright man. He was godly, but yet Satan wanted to mess with his life and God let him do it. And, and you read the account of all the things that he went through and all the struggle and turmoil. But on the other side of that, on God's side, and God's plan, and God's timing, he was restored to twice as much as he had before. There was something God was doing, and it was even to create a shift in this man who thought he had everything he needed to wake him up to the realization of what he truly needed. God in his sovereign will may allow the enemy to sift us like wheat or afflict us with hardships that make us feel like we're on the brink. But in his sovereignty, we can see that it is not to harm us, but like a master surgeon who has to cut away flesh in order to repair what is deathly wrong, what's a life-threatening injury, sometimes God has to allow pain to redirect our lives or open ourselves or open our eyes to the beauty that he wants to bring into it. The pain all leads to ultimate healing. God is worth it. True life, true peace, true security, true unfailing love flow from only one place. And that is the heart of our Father. That's the heart of God. Psalm 34.8 seems to be a recurring theme this week in different things. My wife even mentioned it during worship Psalm 34, 8 says, taste and see. Somebody say, taste and see. This is an invitation. This is an invitation to you. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, the joys of those that take refuge in him. This is a truth. God is good, but it's also an invitation for you to come and experience that goodness. Do not run from God when things are falling apart, but run to the Lord to take refuge in him. When we seek the Lord, we only not only discover a goodness, but a goodness that knows no end. It's an invitation to pursue him and experience that goodness until our very last breath, until you stand before Jesus face to face and are open to the realization of all that he is, we are invited in this life to pursue him with every moment, every breath. There's a song on the radio right now by a band called We Are Messengers. It has a great message. And the song lyrics say, If I didn't know what it hurt like to be broken then how would I know what it feels like to be whole? If I didn't know what it cost like to be rejected, then I wouldn't know that your love, or I wouldn't know that your love coming home. And I love the what this is juxtaposing. It's, it's revealing the, the purpose often of our pain. What struggle and trials do for us is that it gives us perspective. It gives us a perspective. It's not uncommon that, that I'll be out and about and I'll just ask somebody, hey, how are you doing? And, you know, you get your common pleasantries. But if the weather's bad, usually it's like, well, I could do without the rain or I could do without the snow on Halloween, snow. I mean, really? Come on now. I mean, it was the most miserable trick-or-treating experience of my life. Uh, man, it's bad when the kids want to quit early. You know it's bad when the kids want to quit early. But... Uh, You'll ask them, and they'll say, well, I could do without the rain. I could do without the cold. But then often I'll just kind of, as a quick quip, you know, to just make a joke about it, say, yeah, but without the rain, you wouldn't appreciate the sun. 
And without the cold, you wouldn't appreciate the warmth. If life was always good, you would take it completely for granted. You would take it completely for granted. God, in the midst of the winter, is not just causing everything to go dormant and cold and and quiet for uh, those dark times really to come. But in the moment of winter, God is cultivating a ground. He's cultivating the ground to be ripe for spring. When, when the flood waters come, it's not just to destroy or to wash away, but God is nourishing the ground, saturating it with, with, with water, with moisture, so that it can then produce a great crop, green grass. There's enough water to nourish the trees, and the animals have enough to drink, enough to fill our wells so that we have fresh water. So though it may seem drab or unseemly on the onset during these cold winter days or these rainy days and symbolically these, these difficult times, underneath the surface, God is performing wonders. He's working behind the scenes, wonders that will bring a far and greater blessing that we can hope to even understand. If we could see the master gardener working on the seeds to germinate them and, and get them primed, the soils to be primed and ready for spring, if we could see that work in our own lives, we would be astounded and amazed at what God has been doing. God's cultivating the ground of your heart. And that's why this conversation day is paramount for the season in our church because if we miss what God is doing, we might miss what God is doing. Did you catch that? If we miss what God is doing, we might miss what God is doing. If we miss the work that he's doing in the times where maybe it's just it's a struggle to continue to show up and to continue to serve on Sundays and continue the ministry. If, if we miss what he's doing during, during uh, the struggle and even in your own life, if you miss what he's doing during the relationship problems, the marriage problems, the health crisis, you might miss what he's doing in you to bring you to the point of blessing or to become who God has created you to be. We miss what he's doing because our focus becomes all wrong. And if we're not focused on what he's doing, we won't take advantage of the opportunities that we have before us to be a part of the process. We might miss what he's going to do in the future because we work against his plans and purposes in our life rather than work along with them. When life falls apart, when struggles come, God is cultivating our lives for a day of lifting. He allows things to be brought down so that one day he can lift them back up. The word the Holy Spirit spoke to me uh, just as we've been going through this series, it's a statement that's twofold, much like the invitation to taste and see that the Lord is good. It's a statement of information, but it's also an invitation. And it's telling us something, but it's also inviting us into something. And the word that God spoke to my heart this week is this, that the greater the revelation the greater the sacrifice. The greater the revelation, the greater the sacrifice. And you might say, you know, what does that mean? Well, we say all the time and we sing all the time in our songs, we want more of you, God, right? We just, we just sang that 
Draw me closer. We want more of you. We want more. We want to know more. We want, we want to get in our Bibles and just have the mysteries of the universe unpacked and just revealed to us. We want to know more of his heart. We want to know more of what he's doing. And we, we, we just seek him. God, show us your glory. Take us deeper. Give us more revelation. Fill us with the gifts of the Spirit and, and reveal yourself to us. God, come. Let your presence be revealed in this place when we gather for worship. But the thing is, is we don't often understand what we're really asking for. We don't really grasp the depth of that request. See, just before Jesus was crucified on the way to Jerusalem, he takes an opportunity to talk to his disciples about the coming events, that he's beginning to give them revelation of the coming crucifixion. And as he does this, the mother of James and John, I guess she was tagging along with him on, on this specific account, but the mother of James and John pulls Jesus aside and asks him a question, and not an insignificant one at that. In Matthew 20, verses 20 through 23, here's what the word of the Lord records about this um, situation. It says, Then the mother of James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to Jesus with her sons. She knelt respectfully to ask a favor. What is your request? He asked. She replied, in your kingdom, please let my two sons sit in the places of honor next to you, one on your right hand and one on your left. But Jesus answered by saying to them, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering I'm about to drink? Oh, yes, they replied, we are able. But Jesus told them, you will indeed drink from my bitter cup, but I have no right to say who will sit on my right or on my left. My father has prepared those places for the ones he has chosen. So James and John's mom asked the Lord for her sons to be sat in eternity at the place of honor so that they could be as close as possible to Jesus, closer than anyone else. And Jesus makes a statement. He says, are you able to suffer the way I'm about to suffer? Are you able to endure? Is your heart, is your spirit ready? In other words, the closer you want to get to me, the more you will have to go through to get there. The closer you want to be to me, the more you'll have to go through to get there. The more you'll have to give up, the more refining you'll have to endure if you want to get close to me. To get to the level I'm going to go to, to be honored in eternity like I'm going to be honored, to be like me, you're going to have to go through suffering and only through suffering will you even have the opportunity to be a candidate for that position. What he was telling them is that if you want the revelation, if you want the glory to come, to be involved and to be in that place where you are infinitely close to me, you're going to have to go through some stuff. You're going to have to die to yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. John the Baptist is famous for saying, he must increase and I must decrease. He must increase and I must decrease. You want to be at the level where you're able to receive the same kind of revelation I have to be close to the Father the way I'm close to the Father to receive honor like me? Your life is going to have to fall apart. The life that you struggle to build, the life you struggle to hold on to, everything you've tried to protect needs to be placed at the altar and be a sacrifice holy and acceptable to me. 
And Jesus, I'm sure, was hinting to them, guys, you don't know what you're asking for. It feels good, it sounds good, it looks good, but you really don't know. And it really wasn't them asking, it was their mom. So I'm guessing at that moment, they're like, yeah, thanks, mom, thanks for that one. Could have done without the suffering part, but uh, appreciate you meddling like you always do. Uh, But I'm not sure you understand that what sacrifice comes with the honor and revelation that my Father has to give. But even in that, Jesus is giving them revelation in that moment. He's giving them revelation, and it included not blessing or promotion or ease or comfort. The revelation he gave gave them difficulty, sacrifice, and even death. Matter of fact, every one of the disciples of Christ, the 12, were martyred for their faith except for John, but they tried to kill him and he survived, so they just exiled him on an island. They couldn't kill him, so they just sent him away to die alone. Every one of them gave their all, gave their lives. The disciples didn't know what they were asking for because if they did, they might have not even asked the question. And I think many times we don't really know what we're saying either. But we sing songs that are popular like the song Oceans where it says, take me deeper than my faith could ever wander. Really? You want that? Where my feet may fail, take me there into the unknown and the scary because when God begins to do it, what happens? All we beg for is the safe shore. We call out for the deep, but when it happens, we retreat back to the shore. Or we can go old school and talk about hymns that says, where he leads me, I will follow unless it's through suffering and then I go back to my comfortable couch in my home, in my chair. Or, uh, you know, All to Jesus I surrender, all to him I freely give, unless it's my kids and my health and my job and my finances and my time and anything else that I want to do that's more important than your kingdom. We sing these songs, we're asking God for it. But I think even more telling is that maybe we just really don't understand the cost of revelation. We don't understand the cost of following Jesus and that is what keeps people from asking the question. Not that we don't know suffering is coming, but we know that by asking, suffering is going to come. Struggle is going to come. Sacrifice is going to come. And so we'd rather just not pursue than go through the trials and the refining that happens in the pursuit. When it comes to giving Jesus what he deserves, it requires becoming a living sacrifice. It requires laying our lives down And laying our selfish desires down for his perfect will to pursue his heart and be used to unleash his heart into the world. And that sacrifice and that struggle is one we often choose not to make because we'd rather just stay comfortable. Beloved, God is looking for a people who want to taste and see that he is good and that he is worth it. He wants a people who will rise up and say, oh Lord, you're worth it, no matter the cost. You're worth forsaking this world and the opinions of men. 
your worth, the embarrassment, the insecurity, and the fear. God, you are worth forsaking this world and all that it offers. God, your heart and the pursuit of your heart is all that matters. I want your heart no matter the cost. I want to make you famous in the world no matter what it requires, no matter what others think. I want to release your kingdom so that people have a shot, a chance of going to heaven when they die. God, I want to give you everything, even my doubt and my fear. But to that, sometimes we say, no, God, because I don't really believe you're worth it. I don't really believe that. And why don't we believe that? It's because we really haven't tasted and seen that the Lord is good. You know, in our times of worship, you know, the Bible refers to the church and Jesus like a marriage and the times of worship, as we gather together in this place, this isn't a religious exercise or religious service. This is a moment of intimacy with you and God. This is a moment of intimacy. What would you think about a married couple who would come together for intimacy and say, oh, it's been five minutes, let's be done. Or you're taking too much time or this is requiring too much of my heart. I don't really want to connect with you. I just want to feel good doesn't make any sense. But we do this with the Lord. When we come, this is the place of intimacy where his presence is. Jesus said, we're two or more gathered in my name. I'm here among you. I want to encounter you. I'm filling your hearts with the Holy Spirit so you can be filled with my heart. I'm giving myself to you. And when we come to that intimate moment with the Lord, we sit back and say, oh God, impress me. This is a time of intimacy with God where he's calling out for the heart of his people and we struggle even giving him our hearts when we gather together in the most intimate place. And this is reticent of another church in Revelation chapter 3. And this is uh, descriptive of our time and our day. We're talking about the church of Laodicea. In Revelation, Jesus writes seven letters to seven churches in Asia. And each one, he speaks to certain circumstances and, and, and things that were going on in that church. And in Revelation chapter 3, here's what God says to the church of Laodicea. He says, I know all the things you do. You're neither hot or cold. I wish that you were one or the other. But since you are lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. You say I'm rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. And you don't realize that you are wretched and miserable, poor, blind, and naked. So I advise you to buy gold from me. Gold that's been purified by fire. Then you'll be rich. Also buy white garments for me so you'll not be ashamed by your nakedness and ointment for your eyes so you'll be able to see. For I correct and discipline everyone I love so be diligent and turn from your indifference. This church is symbolic of different kinds of Christians and different time periods, but I believe this reflects many believers in this country and in this day and age. We have more stuff today than all the previous generations combined. It wasn't that long ago that you were lucky if you had a black and white television in your home, at least one black and white television. Today, we have televisions and phones combined into one, and everyone, including the kids, has one in the home. There's more technology, more stuff, more wealth that is available today than in the previous generations. These believers in Laodicea thought they were rich, but they were truly desperately 
poor in spirit. And I think that's the case of many uh, Christians today. We call Jesus, we call ourselves by the name of Christ, but we think we're good. We don't really need more of God in our life. We're not desperate for the heart of God because we're comfortable. We've got everything we need. Life is good. There's no reason in my life that I need to change what I'm doing. They thought they didn't need anything because of their wealth, so their hearts did not pursue God in desperation. Yet they were in need of the most important thing, a vibrant, passionate, living relationship with God through the Holy Spirit. They thought they were alive, but they were spiritually dead. And Jesus, in verse 18, tells them to buy gold, a treasure that's been purified by fire, to buy a treasure that's refined by fire. You see, in the refining, in the the difficult times, the struggles and trials where you're pursuing God's heart and life begins to fall apart, you don't just endure struggle, but you find and discover a treasure that is unmatched by anything you could discover. There's an invaluable treasure you're able to discover when you go through the fires of life. Without that refining, the treasure is encapsulated in dross and in impurities and what corrupts and defiles. And there's a spirit, there's a demon spirit in our age that is enthroned in many hearts and lives. It's a spirit of comfort who seeks to keep believers in a state of apathy, cold-hearted, lacking passion for the Lord, a state of faithlessness, not believing and not pursuing and acting on the promises of God. This spirit of comfort seeks to keep us fearful of change, fear of struggle, fearful of what others may think or feel about us, to fill us with fear so that we'll cling and try to manage our own comfort and security when God is truly our security. The Lord is our refuge. Taste and see the Lord is good. Oh, the joys of that take refuge in Him. When you are secure in God, you're secure in all things. But this spirit of comfort seeks to get us to try to manage our own comfort and security by pursuing things other than the very heart of God. To pursue uh, wealth in our jobs, a padded 401k, and find security in minimum wage increases, or even uh, here recently to find security in our union negotiations. But our security comes from God and God alone. When we bow at the altar of materialism and comfort, when we believe that God exists to make us happy and keep us comfortable, to give us everything we want, we miss out on the treasure that he desires to fill our lives with. Mark 8, 36 says, what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but you lose your soul? Matthew 10, 39, Jesus said, if you cling to your life, you're gonna lose it, but if you give up your life for me, you're gonna find it. So it doesn't mean that you can't have good things in your life, but it's your heart's pursuit. It's where you're finding security. It's where your identity is coming from. It's where the passions of your heart are directed. It's what takes priority in your life. See, there's a treasure that can only be discovered in the scary, in the midst of surrender, when faith is all you have to hold on to, when you find all your security is in the Lord because everything else, else around you is falling apart, is failing you, the priceless treasure worth giving everything up for. The priceless treasure that God says is refined and found through the refining fire. The priceless treasure giving all for even your own life is Him. It's Him. It's Jesus. It's not a religion. It's not behavior change. It's Him. It's a vibrant relationship with God. Psalm 1611 says, You'll show me the way of life, granting me the joy of 
of your presence and the pleasures of living with you forever. This is not a promise for eternity. This is a promise for every day, every minute, every second. God is doing something new in me in my prayer time. I, I don't know why now in this stage, but when I get down and pray, I can't help but weep because of how much my heart longs for God. There's joy in his presence. There's pleasure, indescribable pleasure in fulfillment. Psalm 26, verse 8 says, I love your sanctuary, the place your presence dwells. I love your sanctuary, Lord, the place where your glorious presence is. That's where I love. That's where I want to be. David, who was a king who had everything he could possibly want, says, this one thing I ask, I want to dwell in the house of my God for all eternity. I want to be in your presence. Why? Because your presence satisfies beyond the greatest feast. Your heart, God, is what I long for. It is what fulfills me beyond all this world could hope to do. In that secret place where you're alone with the Lord, it's just you and the Spirit of God where everything else begins to fade away and you come humbly before the Lord. All the voices of culture begin to be drowned out and you awaken to the realization and experience the tangible presence of God is near. You discover that everything you could ever hope for or want in your life is right there. And you've had access to it all the time. All you could ever want and everything you could ever need. You discover the treasure your heart has been burning for is found in Jesus Christ. When that same presence doesn't just fill you, but begins to work through you to change other people's hearts and lives, there is no going back. There's no questioning it. Psalm 24, three through six, the psalmist writes this, who can climb the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? Only those whose hands and hearts are pure, who don't worship idols, who are not worshiping the gods of comfort, who are not finding security in the things of this life and in this world, who are not giving themselves to materialism, popularity, fame, pride, insecurity, who are not consuming themselves with likes on social media, but consuming themselves with the one who created them, And those who never tell lies, those who aren't deceiving themselves to think they're really pursuing the Lord when they're not really pursuing the Lord. Those who are deceiving themselves by having a form of godliness and religiosity, but deny the power that can actually make them holy, the power of a life lived in and through the Holy Spirit. These are those that can come to the presence of the Lord. And what will happen, verse 5, they'll receive the Lord's blessing have a right relationship with God their Savior. Such people may seek you and worship in your presence, O God of Jacob. Laodicea, they were deceived. They thought they had everything they needed, except they didn't have the, very, the only thing that they actually needed. And that was a vibrant, true, Holy Spirit-filled life in relationship with God. And here the psalmist is saying, if you want access to the presence, if you want access to God, you want access to the blessings, the fulfillment of your heart, then it comes through seeking the Lord. And who can come? Those who love him with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength and who don't deceive themselves. Those who aren't lying thinking there's something they're not. Those who understand it, who are poor in spirit. The poor in spirit shall find mercy. The poor in spirit will find the presence of God. Laodicea was kept from God and they were spewed out of his mouth because they were worshiping the gods of comfort. They didn't need anything. Yet God was calling out to them to buy 
white garments. Define the purity, the righteousness that comes through a living relationship with Jesus Christ. If you buy these white garments, you won't be naked and ashamed. See, it's not religion that saves you. You can't work your way into heaven. There are not enough good deeds that you can do, not enough service hours you can do. You can't serve your way into God's good graces. You can't earn God's favor and covering with your life through anything that you do. But it does come with giving him your whole heart. It comes with a passionate pursuit of God, loving him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Pursuing in a pursuit that involves sacrifice. Sacrificing anything and everything you can to get close to him, to know him, to dwell in his presence, to seek his face and honor him with your lives. If we want to buy from the Lord the white robes that he's offering, we also need the ointment for our eyes. This is what a true relationship with Jesus does. You're not just forgiven of your sins and cleansed, but you're given the Holy Spirit, which opens your spiritual eyes to see your life more clearly, where we're clothed in Jesus and anointed in the Holy Spirit. To see the purpose of your life. It's not just to work a nine to five and, and just be comfortable the rest of the time. It's to rise up to your God-given and God-ordained purpose for your life. In order to receive the robes and the ointment to acquire this purified gold, Jesus said in verse 19 of chapter three of the book of Revelation, he says, I correct and discipline everyone I love, so be diligent and turn from your indifference. Discipline comes to the indifferent. Life sometimes falls apart, not because of someone else's sin, not necessarily because of your own sin, but simply because of the state of your own heart. Sometimes God has to shake his people to wake them up to the reality of their own hearts. Discipline comes to the indifferent because indifference is the result of a disconnected heart. And that's all God wants from you is your heart. Indifference robs us of passion. It robs us of the ability to hear God's voice. It robs us of ambition to take steps of faith that create opportunities for God to do miracles in and through our lives. And ultimately, indifference will lead to disobedience. And disobedience through the enemy's plan will lead to destruction in our families, our marriages, our churches, stifling the purposes of God to reveal his heart and glory to the world, to reveal the true blessings that he has for your life. The robes of white, the purified gold, come with revelation. Revelation that is revealed through the sacrifice of comfort and ease for the sake of discovering God's goodness in his heart. Maybe I sacrificed the six hours of binge-watching my favorite Netflix show to spend six hours pursuing the heart of God in the quietness of my own room. Maybe I spend my energy, my extra time pursuing God's heart rather than trying to fill my life with temporary things. See, Jesus brings the discipline not because he's angry, but because he loves. He knows that what he has in store is far greater, far better than what we could bring into our own life. But he says, you must be diligent and turn from your indifference. This is an invitation to the church. Examine your heart. Where is your heart? Is it burning with passion for the Lord? Are you seeking God with all that you are? Are you seeking the Holy Spirit in your life, living by the Spirit? Is His love flowing into you so it can pour out of you? Are you learning to love Him in greater and greater ways? Or are you distancing yourself? 
He's saying, guard your heart and pursue the Lord. Love him more and more every day. And see, the thing is, is he hasn't asked us to do anything he's not already done for us. 1 John 4.19 says, we love him because he first loved us. Our father is a good father. He doesn't demand love from us without him giving love in return. He gave us love first by sending Jesus to die for our sins, to pay for everything we've ever done so that relationship can be restored. He demonstrated his eternal love for us through Jesus Christ. Why? So that we in turn would choose him back. God will afflict the comfortable in order to raise up a passionate people filled with the Spirit to restore, to bless, and to fill with good things. And the reality is you can turn or you can be turned as a child of God. When your heart begins to drift, God will bring things into your life to turn it back around. Sometimes life falls apart because we just simply refuse to wake up or wake out of our indifference, to see ourselves as we truly are and turn to the Lord. If we're not moving closer to God, then we're drifting away. If we're not becoming more like Jesus, then we are becoming less like him. If we're not... Uh, falling in deeper love with God, we're becoming more and more hardened and lukewarm, ready to be spit out. But God wants people to love him with everything they are. Why? So he can give us more of himself. So he can give us more of the very thing that we need. The more we pursue him, the more comfort we will be called on to to sacrifice so we can find our complete security, our complete identity in him. And the risk of being exposed, outed, and rejected by people is a risk that we will need to take. But we risk all these terrible stories that come to mind when we have these opportunities. Should I step out and lead this ministry? Should I surrender to this? Should I come to this prayer group? I might not know what to say. Should I go to this conference? I might feel out of place. Should I do these things that I've not done before in my life? And those things will be sacrificed in the pursuit if we're truly interested in giving God more of our heart so we can experience His. But amongst all the sacrifice, amongst all of it, what we discover in the process, in the pursuit of greater revelation of who God is, greater revelation of His voice, greater revelation of His presence, and even greater revelation of His word and His love, is that when life falls apart, God is worth it. He's worth every second. For many years of my life, I let indifference and fear stop me from being obedient to the Lord. I was afraid of what other people might think of me if they discovered my struggles and things I tried to hide. And as much as I wanted to pursue the Lord, I couldn't give him my whole heart because of what was inside, what was in the way between him and me. And I just felt like every time I would make a mistake that I was just rejected by God because I didn't truly give it to him. I wanted to keep up the charade so no one would think anything bad about me. But God loved me enough to let my life fall apart. He loved me enough to make it so I couldn't hide anymore. So that my sins had to be exposed. So I had to become as completely vulnerable and transparent as I'd ever been in my entire life. Not so I could be ashamed, but so I could experience his unconditional love. 
So I could experience his presence and the joy of knowing him in ways I've never experienced in my life. To enjoy and experience wonders in the Holy Spirit and everyday adventures with God, big or small, where I just get to see God work and move. It's such an amazing life. Either it's in confronting my own heart or just surrendering more to him or being used by him to bless other people, none of which I experienced really at all before my life fell apart. And even in the midst of my own struggle, in the struggles I have that are consequences and repercussions of those years and those times that when I discover when life falls apart, God is worth it. Because he's enabled me to love like I've never been able to love before. Open my heart ways I've never been able to open it before. Lean in and be selfless in ways I've never had before. And it's the most amazing life that we could live. See, when life falls apart, church, God is leading you. God is refining you. He's faithful to bring you into his promises. And what you'll discover every time is that he's worth it. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your word and your grace. God, I thank you that you are not just intimately aware of our lives where you keep track of every time we mess up or the things that we do that are mistakes to be angry at us. You don't even do that because you gave Jesus to wipe all that stuff away. And there's somebody here, God, that is weighed under regret, under shame, under guilt for a lifetime of mistakes. God, and I just speak to that person right now who is, who is struggling with just feeling loved by you. God, I just speak to you and I say, you are infinitely and overwhelmingly loved by the Father. God loves you more than you could understand. Matter of fact, you are to die for. He proved it by giving his own life on the cross. He is more interested in loving you and restoring you than any mistake you've ever made. And he's providing you an opportunity to let him work in your mess and turn your mess into a miracle. Maybe you're here today and that's you. Maybe you don't have a relationship with God. You kind of believe in God, but you kind of have this faith, this belief that if God really exists, he couldn't love you because of all the things that you've done. Friend, I'm here to tell you, he loves you. And he wants you to come home. He's your father in heaven and he's waiting for you to just turn to him and say, yes, that's me. For you to turn to him and say, Father, I'm coming home to you. If you're here today and you don't have a relationship with God, you don't know God's love in your life, you've never given him your heart, you made a conscious decision to say, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I'm giving you my life today. If that's you here today, every head bowed, every eye closed, no one looking around, if that's you here today, would you just slip up your hand and just say, Pastor Joey, that's me. I don't have a relationship with God. I don't know that God could even love me. But I want to know that love today. I want to give my heart and my life to Jesus. If that's you here today, just slip your hand up and say, Pastor Joey, that's me. I won't call you out. I won't embarrass you. Thank you. Maybe you're here today and God's speaking to your heart because the Spirit's revealing that you've been indifferent. You've been going through the spiritual motions. Maybe you've had some emotional experiences, some spiritual experiences before, but you've kind of got into a routine and into a rut. 
and you know that you need to be awoken today. You need to give God your life. And there's been some fear getting in the way of you fully committing yourself to him. In just a minute, when we go in, when I pray and we go into just to a time of response, I'm going to call on you to come. And lay yourself down in these first rows of seats and give God your heart. Choose to turn from your indifference today instead of having him turn it for you. Allow God to do that work in you in this place. Lord, I just thank you for your love. God, I thank you that nothing you send us through, nothing you bring us through, even momentary uh, discomfort, God, is for our our hurt or for our pain, but it's God, it's to heal us. It's to lift us up. It's to turn us into who you created us to be. It's for our good. It's to bring good things in our lives, to really open our eyes to what is true riches, what is true blessing, what is true love in this place. It's to cast out all fear, all embarrassment, all fear of what other people think, and to give us a sure footing on our faith in Jesus Christ that nothing that we encounter will shake us. It's to do miracles in us so that through us, you can do miracles. I just pray for everyone here, God. Holy Spirit, I just pray that you would mark us with a passionate heart that would seek you above all else. You'd give us a committed heart, a heart that is fully surrendered, that we wouldn't let the cares and worries of this world get in the way of our relationship any longer. I just pray, God, that you would minister to us now.